Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Lonnie Rossman, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Very much looking forward to having the conversation today. Lonnie Rossman, AIA, is founder and managing principal of API Partners, an executive search and management consulting firm focused on the built environment professions. As a licensed architect, Lonnie recognized the need for specialized AEC uh, executive search. Uh, as a licensed architect, Lonnie recognized the need for specialized AEC executive search provided by architecture and design professionals uniquely qualified to assess the skills required for success. And since 1995, API Partners has grown to provide executive search, M&A consulting, uh, strategic consulting, uh, and career management services for architecture, engineering, landscape architecture, planning and design companies, institutions, and professionals throughout the United States and globally. And so, Lonnie, I shared a little bit about what you do. Um, I'd love to learn more about you. I'd love to go back to where you discovered architecture because you're an architect, but you're not doing architecture. You're doing uh, a, a, a similar or a, a supportive role in the in the profession. Um, so I'd love to learn the story of how that happened. So go back to where you discovered architecture and share that story uh, to where you are now. Uh, thank you. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. As far as uh, my background, I, I'd say it started more in, in the arts. Um, I 
was really more into drawing and painting and, and a member of the Art Honor Society back in high school. And it was actually a, an art teacher uh, of mine that suggested that I look into architecture. Uh, so I did just that um, and got excited about the ability to combine art and you know, intellectual pursuits and uh, went and got my degree. Uh, attended Miami University in Ohio and then NC State, got my Bachelor of Architecture um, and jumped into the profession. Um, the firm that I worked with uh, in New Jersey was um, actually an excellent small practice. Uh, we worked on a variety of different clients with, with a variety of different clients and projects from office space to laboratories to synagogues, you know, the, the, a range of different kinds of projects. And I think at that point, um, I was still learning an intern in the profession, uh, but I, I had the, the, I get the good fortune of working with a number of very talented designers, uh, individuals that uh, went on to be design partners and design principals and global practices um, that were working for this small practice in Princeton, New Jersey at the time. And um, I guess I didn't necessarily know what the different career paths that I that, that were kind of open up in front of me. Working for a small practice, you were kind of a PA, PM, and designer all in one. Um, and uh, so at that point, I guess I looked at the people around me and I was a good designer. I kind of felt design was why I got into the profession. Um, I was a good designer, but there were excellent designers that I happened to be working with. There were about four or five that were in the practice that really um, could design around me uh, at that point. And so I thought, you know, do I want to just be someone else in the practice doing the projects. I didn't necessarily think of a project management path or a technical path or things like that. I thought, how could I possibly apply what I've learned maybe in a different way? Uh, and um, I had worked at a number of kind of contract or temp jobs over the summers in college. And the idea of um, kind of an employment agency or a temp firm uh, that, that focused within architecture and design that was led by that kind of um, experience and expertise seemed to make sense at the time. Um, actually did a little bit of business planning, uh, then took a pause to take the registration exam. This was back in 95. Uh, and we were just coming out of a recession uh, at that point and put an ad in the, kind of put a generic ad in the paper said, you know, looking for architects um, and was inundated uh, with, with resumes, actually hard copy sure. resumes in the post office box. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, okay, I guess we're going to do this. Uh, so very, very early on the idea came and, and in your career as an architect. Was yeah. I was like literally the, uh, got my bachelor of architecture, worked three years in the profession, completed IDP, sat for the exam as quickly as I could. That was um, back when the exam was given once a year, it was or most of it was given once a year. Uh, they give the design part, I think twice a year at that point. It was in June, four days straight of the exams. And then, um, so I took the exam in June, uh, put that ad in the paper in August, quit my job two weeks later and started the day after Labor Day. Wow. Uh, so, what, so what inspired that as a young architect? And, and you just explained that, you know, that... Uh, with your design, you know, like design, but it wasn't your your top skill. You didn't want to take these other paths, but the path that you took isn't something that most people would have said. Oh, that's a path in architecture I can take, and I'll go in that direction. What sort of inspired the idea? Well, 
Um, part of it was driven by wanting to have a family and support a family. And so part of it was monetary. Uh, I wasn't making much as an architect. I looked at the people above me in the office. They were making, I don't know, 25% more, but we're talking 30 to 40,000, not, you know, right. 80 to, you know, 120 or something or 100,000. Um, and I didn't want my career path to curtail what my goals and aspirations were for my family. So um, I figured if if I decided to go this path, that worst case scenario, I would meet a lot of people. And um, as a licensed architect, would be able to find myself a job if it didn't, if it fell through. Um, so that was part of the inspiration at the beginning. And um, when I first started, I tried to like figure a way to become uh, a known entity in the market. And ultimately calling people on the phone wasn't working. So, um, and I figured I actually started in Philadelphia. Uh, I was trying to figure out whether Philadelphia or New York, but New York seemed a little more daunting at that moment. So Philadelphia seemed a little more reasonable. And um, I literally, you know, put some marketing materials together that I created on my own and went door to door and just said, hi, my name is to various practices and gained some traction that way and had our first client within the first week or so. Um, I didn't know anybody in the Philadelphia market because I was working in Princeton. So that was, yeah. it was a little bit foreign to me. Um, and it just took off from there. And honestly, I wasn't thinking on the executive search side at that moment. I was thinking on the contract placement side, the temporary placement side. But within the first, I think, three weeks of being in business, uh, one of the firms that I had been in touch with and actually had kind of cold called and walked in the door said, you know, we're looking for somebody permanent. And so I said, sure, we can do that. Um, and, and so it just kind of evolved from there. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily that the, I would say that the growth of the business has been more organic with some planning in between than it was this great vision that, you know, occurred to me as I was sitting for the registration exam back in 95. Yeah. So when you launched it, did you launch it thinking, oh, I'll do this for a little while. It'll earn me some money and let's see where this goes. Or was this, I'm going to launch this and this will be my career. I don't think I knew at the time. I just thought, I, I realized that where I was working for this, you know, really wonderful award-winning practice in, in New Jersey, um, it was great, but I, I, I didn't necessarily see myself owning my own practice. I saw, again, I saw these others that were excelling at design and I went into the profession for design. I think most of us go into architecture because we like design, um, whether we're good at it or not. And I guess I realized that maybe this wasn't where I wanted to be in the long run and what what other path I did I didn't know if this is going to be my long term or if this is going to be a temporary solution um, but it seemed like a good idea and I guess I went into it thinking if it doesn't work I'll figure something else out it wasn't um, like a five year plan or a 10 year plan like m many may have I didn't I didn't have that much forethought at the, at that time and it did work because it's the same business you're running today. So how, what, what is, what's the evolution from that point to where you are now? Yeah, it's 25 years as of last year. So it's been a while. Um, I'd say that the evolution was, again, I, I think it was more client driven than it was this grand vision that I had. Um, we started working with firms and they had temporary contract placement needs. And then they asked for people permanently 
at the beginning, um, there's, there've been a lot of different people along the way that have given me advice on how to handle various situations. Um, and, uh, at one point along the way at the beginning, um, we were charging a flat fee for a placement, a permanent placement. And someone said, uh, uh, you're underselling yourself. You should, it should be based on a percentage of salary. And my thought was, but architects aren't going to pay for that. Well, I was wrong. Uh, and, and we, we ended up switching our, um, fee structure to be really more in line with the industry than undercharging. And so, um, I think the first time, the first fee that I received when we switched our fee, uh, to a percentage was like three or four times as much as I made before. I'm like, okay, well, I can, I can actually make a living doing this. Um, and, uh, and it's grown the people that I've had, um, I call them colleagues, employees, colleagues, but colleagues that I've had, clients that I've had over the years have helped to propel the growth. Everybody that I've worked with um, has brought something new to the business that we've been able to take advantage of, uh, whether it's connections in the market or a different strategic idea, a client that has one office and they have another office and they need us to help expand. Um, at, the, at the beginning, we were doing mostly architects. Then a client said, well, what about a landscape architect? Can you help us with that? Sure. And how about structural engineer, a mechanical engineer, an electrical engineer, planner? And so we kind of expanded beyond what I originally thought we were going to do. Again, my initial idea was contract placement in architecture. And now we're doing kind of the full built environment. Uh, and our clients have ranged from small practices of five people or less to global practices to Novartis of, you know, fortune 100 company to Yale university. So it's, it's ranged as far as the, um, the growth and definitely didn't, I did not set out to expand that way. It just, it just happened. A lot of it through referrals, you know, somebody has a good experience feels like they were treated nicely. It was, it was a positive for their business or for their career. And they refer somebody, I think in the last, you know, 48 hours, I've received, I think three new business leads. And I think at least a dozen or more candidates just through referrals. Um, and that, and that happens quite frequently. Yeah. I can imagine that the organic growth that comes from 25 years of networking uh, and building relationships, because what you do is a relationship business, that those that network with combined with that relationship building really pays off because as you grow, it just continues to to exponentially grow as well. So you the more you, you do what you do, the bigger and and more beneficial it becomes. Agreed. yeah, and and our um, we try to try to stay involved in the architecture community as well. Um, for myself and my colleagues, uh, whether it's involvement with um, AIA or SCUP or uh, SMPS or women in art in construction, you know, we're trying to be involved in the community. I was chair or co-chair, depending on the year, of the AIA uh, Design Committee uh, in Philadelphia for about 18 years, and actually just recently uh, passed it on to somebody else. It was, it, it was about time. Um, but, um, it's, it's been a great way to, to, to remain involved in the profession because a lot of what we do tends to be confidential. 
Uh, our clients want to keep conversations confidential. The candidates that we work with want to keep our conversations confidential. Uh, and so um, we don't necessarily, you know, broadcast what we do uh, with a lot of detail because um, that confident confidentiality is the, I guess, the cornerstone of, of, of how we have to operate and run our business. So anyway, we, we, we try to stay involved in the, in the greater um, community, attend conferences, whether it's healthcare, uh, architecture, or education, just remaining involved in a way that really um, connects us with what's going on in, uh, in, the, in the professional community. I want to I want to understand a little bit more specifically about what you do, so listeners understand the services you provide. So, can you sort of go through the different services you provide for architects, and then maybe we'll we'll go a little bit bigger picture and talk about how architects who are looking for, you know, uh, staff, whether it's temporary or permanent, how they might go ahead and try to find those people. So let's let's start with what you do. Um, we are retained by architecture, engineering, landscape planning, design practices, um, uh, I guess I said, as well as some institutions and corporations um, to identify talent uh, and help them secure top talent for their organization. Uh, it, it really depends on the organization and what their strategic goals are. Um, I'd say that our, our searches uh, kind of fall into two different categories. They're either tactical or strategic. Tactical being, you know, we have a clear defined need at the moment. Um, it, it could be more project focused. We, have, we, we want a new project and we need to you know, acquire talent and, and, and build a practice and others um, more strategically are thinking about where their business is going, um, areas that they may want to um, expand into, whether it's expanding geographically or expanding expertise. Um, and many of these conversations that we're having are with leaders of architecture and design practices. Um, talking to a CEO of a practice yesterday, and um, they want to expand geographically in the U.S. and expand the portfolio. And so we're talking about um, not just, you know, we need X. In this case, we need a, a principle, a strong design principle, but someone that has a, uh, a network within certain market sectors. But you know, what is the overall business strategy and, and where is the firm going and how is this person, are they going to be a, a piece of that, a piece of that strategic growth? So um, it's been, it's been, it's always interesting talking with leaders of practices, whether they be a small practice or a, or a large practice about where, what their vision is and how they want to grow their, their practices. So the talent acquisition side has expanded to management consulting, um, again, more on the strategy side, some of that leads to ownership and leadership transition, um, which also then ties in with uh, clients that are looking to expand, maybe not by hiring one person, but by acquiring a practice. So that kind of dives into the um, mergers and acquisitions side of what we do. Um, and then lastly, uh, we also deal with the individual architect, designer, uh, engineer, um, on a, a selective basis, um, doing more on the career management side. You know, they may have been with a practice for the last 10 years and they're not sure exactly where they want to go with their career and they're trying to sort things out. They haven't updated their resume or portfolio in a while. And so we will um, kind of coach and guide on that front as well. So I'd say that's kind of a 
broad view of what we do. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, VR videos, or presentations. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present the biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? To download your exclusive free trial, head to twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com FreshBooks. Monograph is building a community of like-minded firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. On top of that, Monograph is building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your team to know in near real time whether you're on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, role assignments, and manage team members all in one place. The best part of Monograph, it doesn't require a degree in finance to use it. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. And to underscore their commitment, on August 12th, Monograph will be hosting their first ever virtual conference 
It's called Section Cut. This one-day event brings firm owners, operations leaders, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops, all with the goal of improving their businesses. Reserve a seat at Section Cut today by visiting sectioncut.com. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. In our community, lots of small firm, lots of small firm owners. Um, I'm hearing a lot, you know, currently right now we're recording this in February of 2021. And I'm hearing that many of the firms in our community are very busy. They have lots of work. They're seeing lots of work in the pipeline. Um, and so they're trying to expand. And they're getting frustrated because they can't find anyone. And I'm hearing this over and over and over again, that, that the, 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 uh, the pool of potential candidates is, is very small. Um, and to match the right person with the position is very difficult. Do you have any suggestions? That, well, first of all, they should go reach out to you because you can help them do that. Um, so they should do that. But do you have any suggestions on how they might be able to uh, come up with a strategy to find that right person? Um, yeah, and honestly, you know, hiring us to find people, depending on the firm, depending on the situation, may not be the right uh, approach. I, I think that um, each business, because there's a cost involved, uh, and sometimes the cost can be can, you know, can add up depending on the level or compensation for the individual. So, you know, I don't honestly would prefer that firms don't necessarily come to us for their first step in their process, because I think that that kind of leads to potential doubt down the line. So sure. I, I'd like them to be to, to kind of come to us with conviction that this they've they've come to us with um, deciding that we're the right partner for to help them in that process. Um, I think that um, for small firms or any firm at this point, uh, I, I, we're, we're seeing what you're seeing, um, that things have been picking up, to say the least. Um, I'd say that the, the first month of this year was um, a nice change from you know the middle of 2020 when things were a little bit uh, more shaky, I guess. Yeah. We, we remained busy, um, but could have been busier in 2020. But as 2021 is it, um, I think that the supply and demand is uh, uh, not in favor of the firm at the moment. And I think that there's also the one thing that we're all contending with is that um, for individuals that have been gainfully employed over the last year, uh, when we've seen a fair amount of layoffs, there's there's definitely a degree of hesitancy in the market for, um, for making a move. Um, and I think that's based on, well, I, I should be happy that I have a job. I've seen some of my friends get laid off. So I'm just going to kind of put my head down and, and, and do my job and not really look up until I feel comfortable in, you know, traveling or going to the supermarket without wearing a mask. Um, but so there's definitely a kind of supply and demand imbalance that you, that you indicated. Um, I think right now, it's a matter of utilizing the network that you have uh, to identify uh, individuals, um, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or your own website, or you know, really being proactive and reaching out. And, and um, if you put a if you put a, a a note on your LinkedIn profile that we're looking for some great young architects for our practice, um, if you've got a, a a substantial enough network, more than likely somebody else in your network is going to like it. And it's going to get out to their network as well. So I think that there's a kind of a, there should at least be that undercurrent of activity 
and visibility um, on social media and the resources that the firm is using to share information about their, their architecture projects. Um, beyond that, I think that we've all become accustomed. Um, we can't go to AIA or some other organization in a physical meeting at the moment. So a lot of those meetings are virtual. Um, but I think that, that there's still the ability to connect to potential hires through your active involvement in your professional community. Um, if, if you're a member of a committee at the AIA or ULI or SMPS, and um, you're just providing that, you're sharing your time and expertise to that organization, you have visibility and in the course of conversations, oh yeah, we're busy and we're doing well. And if you guys know of anybody, you know, I think that um, just utilizing your network, I think that some, I was talking to a practice, a small practice in New York the other day, and you know, they, they put an ad out and I can't, I don't know if it was on Arconnect or another website, but they actually received some decent, um, you know, resumes or responses to the posting. So I think you can get lucky that way. I'd say, you know, take advantage of the network that you have. And um, if those um, avenues aren't working, then uh, look into the, the expertise that a search firm might provide. How important is building your brand, the website and the marketing that you do, the stories that you're telling? Because much of that brand and that marketing and the stories that we're telling, we're telling in order to attract clients. But how important is that in the, in the search for employees? I think it's very valuable. And I, especially now, um, I think that what we're finding in younger talent is um, kind of emerging talent in the profession is that in general, they're very sensitive to um, what, a, what, what a firm has in social media or website. Um, they, they, they interpret what is being put out by a firm, um, whether it's um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, whether the firm is making contributions to their own local community as well. Um, and um, I, I, so I, I, I think that that the, the imagery and the media that is put out, um, press releases and other information on, on a company website is all, um, all plays into the talent acquisition process. Um, I know for us, if, if, if I approach um, a, a potential candidate for a position and they may not know anything about the client that we're working with, which definitely does happen, um, you can hear clicking on the other side of the of the telephone call, and they are looking. Um, they're looking at the firm's website, and right. they're quickly perusing through the imagery. They're looking at the blog posts. They're looking at the leadership page, and is it a bunch of old white men? Is is there is there diversity in in the in the practice? And um, and so yeah, I I think that 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 the that, that a company's website and the media that, that, they, that they put out, whether it's on LinkedIn or elsewhere, um, all plays into the story of, um, is that a firm that I would be interested in working with? Uh, and and are, are they making positive contributions to the community that I participate in, the community that, that I live in? Uh, and um, bad websites contribute to people saying, yeah, sorry, not interested. Um, and good good websites, even if the the firm's work may not be 
um, exactly what the candidate is looking for, that, that may strike a chord. So I think it's, it's about being impassioned about where you're working uh, and, and, and looking forward to being in an environment where you feel like you're making contributions and you have a voice. Uh, and if the firms can convey that, um, it really does make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine that much like a client when they land on your website or other marketing materials, that that first impression is super important, that it needs to resonate, right? These, today, people make decisions very quickly, yeah. right? They see something, they say yes or no, right? If they land on your website and it, and it doesn't have a good feeling to them, doesn't emotionally connect with them, they're making a decision. They may continue to look into the, the position, but they've made a decision on you and your firm. Um, and, and emerging professionals are coming, you know, they're coming to our profession as digital natives, right? That's the first thing they do is they check the internet. Um, they are entrepreneurial. They are socially driven. All these things matter. And so much, many of our clients are also becoming much of those things as well. Our entire society is becoming more entrepreneurial and more socially driven. And so we need to respond to that. And we need to be able to attract that from both client base and uh, our our talent it needs to address that as well, um, and with the pandemic, it's accelerated, right? That yeah. that many of these emerging professionals, um, they are looking at their futures and saying, "Well, look at all these tools and technologies I have. I don't maybe I don't need to work for other people." And so that pool gets even smaller because many of them are starting their own things, you know. Not, maybe not architecture firms. Maybe they are architecture firms. Maybe they're getting licensed. Maybe they're not getting licensed. But they have many, many options where, you know, when, when I started in the late, you know, early 90s, you went to an architecture firm. That was your option. Right. If you wanted to be an architect, you found an architecture firm to work for. Today, that's an option. And so uh, I think yeah. we have to look at all of those things. What are your thoughts? I, I would say also, yeah, I, I would say um, for architecture firms now, if you go to most company websites, years ago, it was... Um, the careers website, the careers page on the on the website would be a list of jobs if they had any openings. Now you go to a web page uh, under careers and it's talking about the culture of the firm and you know what it's like to be there. Yeah, they may talk about benefits and compensation, but really they're talking about this is a great place for you to want to be uh, and to grow your professional career. And it's collaborative and supportive. And you know, I've been in numerous small, especially small firm websites where. You have the you know, pictures of the employees and then like the company dog on there as well. Like this is a place that's welcoming, that's collaborative, that's vibrant. And, you know, you want to be here. Yeah, because of the architecture work, but because we're a fun place to be. Um, but but you're right. I, I think I think that the barriers to entry for starting a business nowadays, whether it's whether you're a licensed architect starting a practice or you have an architecture degree and you want to do something else. The barriers to entry to that are so small um, that you know anybody can, you know, either whether on their own or through Wix or some other, you know, create a website and all of a sudden you're now president of your own company. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that. I think that that's also um, kind of a product of the downturn. I think we the downturn in 2007, eight, nine, and the downturn this past year. I think that. Um, it spawns new businesses and it spawns new um, innovation in the market. And I think that there's a, um, you know, when you realize that your 
your paycheck, uh, your career can stop on a dime because um, of somebody's decision uh, that was things that were beyond your control. Um, you start to want to take more control of what your career is and what your path is. And um, we're definitely seeing that. I, I, I know that um, on the flip side, there are firms now that are, um, that are going through their own leadership transition processes. And many that are switching from a uh, ownership of a few to ESOP structures um, and transitioning ownership. And I think that um, there are definitely opportunities out there to start your own business, but there's also opportunities out there to um, be part of an, a, an established business where you can kind of have that autonomy uh, and have that leadership responsibility, but not have to start from scratch. Um, and I think that that's been the selling point of some practices that we're working with and we've worked with in the past that, you know, we could be a place where someone that is on the cusp of trying to decide, do I want to stay where I am or do I want to go elsewhere? Meaning, sorry, do I, do, wanna, do I want to start my own practice? To say kind of start your own practice here. Uh, we've got the marketing infrastructure and the talent. And yeah, it's, it's also helping to, um, to facilitate an ownership transition for an established practice. But if so, in, in many cases, a, a young architect that wants to start their own firm, they may be working on pretty substantial commissions at their current practice. And then they're starting you know, almost from scratch uh, with smaller commissions and having to build up. Um, so there are opportunities to go start your own, but I think there are many out there where you, know, you can step into a firm, whether it's the one you're in or a different one, um, and have the benefits of quote unquote, starting your own practice without. Yeah. It sounds like there is a need for uh, firm leaders to think about all of these things before you need that to happen, right? So if you're, if you're now you need it, right? If you're, if you're busy and you have this work and you need help, well, then you got to go out there and hustle and find the right people, make those connections. But if you don't need them, listen to us <laughs> because- right. If you start planting the seeds today, building that network, building those relationships with people, working on your website, being more attractive to the people who you want to, to have work for you in the future, that when it does come time for you to start hiring, it's much easier because it's all those pieces are put, to, put together because that takes time, right? There's, take, there's an investment in building the image of the firm, both for your clients and for your team. And so... Um, Think about that. Even if you're busy and you have fully, fully, fully staffed, think about the future and how you can position your firm to be more attractive to to the people who are looking for positions. Yeah, I also think there's there's kind of the maybe that's the opposite side of that of that comment um, as well. But I remember attending a uh, a seminar at an AI convention. This is probably 15 years ago. There was a firm owner, and I do not remember who it was, but it was a firm owner was talking about um, the growth of their practice. I think they'd grown from a pretty small practice and an increase, if I recall, the firm was about 100 people at that point. And um, the, the talk was about ownership leadership transition. Uh, so it was kind of the later years of this firm. And they were talking about um, investing in the talent that they had in their organization and kind of investing in their understanding of how to run a business. And you know how to do business development, how to win clients, the finances behind the projects, really just teaching them what to do. And and they also said that there was a, a fair amount of it was somewhat capital intensive because it was time intensive, but 
they felt that there was value there. And someone in the audience said, uh, asked a question at the end and said, uh, well, you know, what if, what if you invest in five people and two of them leave? You know, then you've basically spent this time and money and they're not with you anymore. He said, and, and, and his, I thought his response was, was, was brilliant at the time. He said, well, but what if they stay? Right. And um, he's like, you know, yeah, people are going to leave and I don't want to curtail. If someone has the goal to either be with another firm or start their own practice, the fact that we can give them the faculties to go ahead and do that, you know, it's furthering the profession. We may work with that person again. We may not. They may be a competitor, but I think it's the right thing to do, to do for the profession. So as much as we're talking about um, how to attract talent and that there's maybe a dearth of, uh, of, of talent or supply and demand uh, imbalance at the moment, I think that we can't lose sight of um, the future of the practice with the people that you do have and investing in their future and giving them the tools to take on more and more responsibility because, you know, you're in your firm for a year or two and it's growing and now it's five years and it's 10 years and you want to be able to perpetuate the business and give the individuals the, 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 the tools necessary to, for them to be successful and for you to be successful. So Lonnie, we talked a lot about big picture. We talked about sort of more focused, um, Let's talk about what one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow. What is that thing that they should think about right now, they can execute right now and see results in the near future? In all honesty, I think that um, the profession is built on talent. No matter which way you slice it, um, it's built on talent. So I, I'd say that um, the focus on the short term, I think you articulated it quite nicely, of, of expanding your um, network and always being cognizant of, of the people that you're interacting with and, and sharing how your business is doing, what you're working on. And because people talk, people like to talk. Um, and the more that you can share about your practice, um, the better off you're going to be, whether it's acquiring new clients or acquiring new talent for your business. But the more you're out there in the community, um, the better. Uh, and, and I think that that holds true for the people that you already have in your organization and for the ones that you would like to attract to your organization, because, you know, we can buy the latest software and have the nicest office, but ultimately uh, we're a service industry and the service is based on the people that you have and making sure that, um, that you're attracting the best talent and uh, growing the talent that you have. His name is Lonnie Rossman. The website is apipartners.com. You should go there because even if you don't need uh, Lonnie's services for placement, they lots of resources there. There's a, there's a job board there. Um, there's additional resources, there's articles that they've written, um, and they write articles for other publications as well. Um, they're active on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, so check them out at on there. We'll have links to all of that on the show notes. Um, Lonnie, what's the best way for someone if they want, they had a question or they wanted to reach out to, to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, either via the website or LinkedIn, in all honesty. I'm happy to connect with people on LinkedIn and, and uh, open up a conversation that way. Uh, welcome any conversation. 
Sounds good. Lonnie, thank you for what you do. I think it's an important role that we have. It's, it's very needed. It's every day it becomes more and more needed. So thank you for being there. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with the profession. And thank you for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. And thank you for uh, introducing me to the Entree Architect community and um, all the best and, and, and uh, enjoy the conversation. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion for their support of this podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community. Yep, it's there. And Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's in there for you at Entree Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? 
Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.